Where is the deep end now? It's a new day. The deep end's history takes a dramatic turn as COVID-19 helps everybody learn they can do a lot of stuff they do at work at home. Welcome to the home studio. This is the deep end. Hello, hello, Tuesday night, 7 p.m. Yes, this is my home. I want to say welcome to all of you into my home. You know, again, COVID-19, it changed the world, right? So I'm letting you know where I'm broadcasting from. You let me know where you're watching from. I'd love to know. Let me know uh, also how long you've been watching The Deep End. I'd like to know because you know what? We've been doing this for four. This is our fourth year. You've been with us since the beginning. Are you a are you a true deep ender, or is this your second year or first year or, or whatever? But I'm so glad that you're here. I want to say welcome to our audiences. Welcome to FM 99.5 in Woonsocket, Rhode Island. Welcome to our uh, radio in uh, Tampa, Florida, which is brand new to us here. Uh, welcome to Spotify and Facebook, and also welcome in the Twitch audience, our brand new audience. So there's so many ways to connect with us. I want to actually show you the many diverse ways that you can connect with us here on The Deep End. Visit thedeepend.tv. Also check us out at Facebook. Like the page for me, please. The fa- uh, Not the Facebook. Facebook.com slash TV, And that's also Instagram and Periscope. And then, of course, like and subscribe on YouTube. Hey, if you're watching on YouTube, do me a favor. Like the video. Even if you don't like it, like it. Okay, and subscribe and hit the notification bell. Uh, That'll also let you know when we go live. So I'm doing a little bit of controlling here, just letting you know about the setup. Right over the back of this camera is my tech producer, Michael McGarry. You can't see him. We don't have a camera on him, but maybe soon you will see him. So thanks to Michael. He helped me set all this up in my home office here. To bring this content to you, we're going to go back and forth from the church office to the home office. Depending on what time of year it is, what week it is, we learned how to work at home. 2020. <laughs> okay, um, that brings me to uh, Deep End News. Deep End News. The news you'd choose if you could choose news. Okay, it's Deep End News. And here's, here's what's happening tonight. I don't know if you know this. There is a debate tonight. And it is a big debate. Right after the Deep End, actually. You should, you should watch the Deep End, finish this episode, and then tune in for the first presidential debate. Yes, I am telling you to tune in. Why? Because, because you need to know what's going on. You need to know what's going on in this election. You need to know what each guy stands for and what he believes in. And don't just blindly follow a letter, i.e. R or D. So I absolutely believe Christians should vote. I believe they should vote and they should be informed. Let me ask you a simple question. Does God care about what you do? Does God care about what you do? Of course he does. Is voting something that you do? Yes. I think God cares about how you vote because he cares about what you do. Now, I am not here to tell you who to vote for, but I am telling you, please be informed. And here's a little thought that's going to actually do a nice lead-in transition into our top talk on the life of David tonight. I want you to do this. You should actually really do this. Take out your phone, put open a note file, or take out a piece of paper if you're old-fashioned and, and get a pen. I want you to mark down the number of times that one candidate t- tells you that, that the other candidate is going to ruin your life. Because do you know what politics is based on in this country? Fear! Ooh, 
You gotta watch out for the boogeyman of the R or the D. Fear is like the standard of this age. And this is, this is so apropos to where we are in our study on the life of David. I want to do one more little spot, one more little promo about the deep end. Hey, support us. <laughs> we do everything at home with, uh, with construction paper. Uh, support us, thedeepend.tv slash support. If you can, invest in the deep end. All the money goes to the deep end. None comes to me. I am already paid by Waters Church. Help us make the deep end ever better. You say, why? You look pretty good right now. We always want to un- improve technology. We always got to improve cameras and all that kind of stuff. This stuff costs big time money. So all your support is helpful. And you can also support us at the deep end hashtag. Uh, that's the dollar sign, the deep end TV. So if you have the cash app, just drop us five bucks, 500 bucks. Okay. That takes me to uh, the thing about the, the um, debate tonight. And then also what's going on in our world right now. The fear the, you know, the kingdoms of this world, all the argument about who's going to make your life worse tonight on the life of David. Let's get into it. The life of David. Today, in episode two, it's God's chosen king. So last week, it was Israel's choice, the people's choice. This week, it is God's choice. God chooses a king. In 1 Samuel 16, verse 1, he says, I have provided for myself a king. By the way, how do you like these new camera angles and all this new layout? Love it, don't you? I just think this is so cool. I have provided for myself a king. And the reason why is because we need a better king, don't we? Like we need better choices than the two guys we're going to see tonight. <laughs> Everybody says that. Like these, they, uh, there's a lot of Christians that say this. I can't vote for either because they're so evil. Both of them are so evil. Yes, of course they are. They're human. They're human. That's just what happens when humans run for you know political office. You're just going to get humans, they're, and they're faulty and they're frail. Please don't do one of these things where you write in Jesus. I, I just think that's so corny. Please, all right. Jesus has no chance of winning the election, so just vote for one of them. But anyway, the point that I'm making is that in the election season, in this time of hyper-partisanship and hyper-division, more intense longing for someone to be the guy who will save us. I bring you back to 1 Samuel chapters 1 through what is now 16, where we are going to start. Remember, Saul was the people's choice. And Saul turned the kingdom into a self-glorification enterprise. It was all his fame. It was all about his power. It was all about uh, his reputation. And what started out as a good kingdom became a very self-absorbed kingdom because Saul was a man of fear. He feared what people thought of him and he feared about his own reputation, his own name, his own glory. And the people were harassed. The people were hurt by this. When a a leader seeks his own glorification or his own monetization through the leadership role, the people he's meant to serve suffer. See, leadership in the Bible is not about glory for the king or the leader. It's about helping the people. Le- that's why Jesus is the servant leader. He is the leader who serves, who washes the feet of the disciples. Says, if you want to, if you want to be great, serve, serve everyone. This moment where we see David come on the scene is a transitionary moment for the people of Israel to get out of the kingdom of Saul and into the kingdom of God. Let's talk about the kingdom of Saul because we'll talk about this first. Then we'll close this out with getting to the kingdom of David. The kingdom of Saul is a demanding kingdom. It's a kingdom of high pressure. If you're living in your world, if you're living in the world today and you just feel high pressure in your heart, you're stressed, 
You're worried, you're anxious all the time, high pressure. Guess what? That's the kingdom of, that's the kingdom of Saul. Satan is the God of this world. We, we live under the auspices of the God of this world as members of the kingdom of the God of the universe. Okay, so we are on enemy territory as Christians. We are under the auspices of Satan's kingdom, but we are members of a different kingdom. David's kingdom, the true and better David, Jesus's kingdom. But we got to identify Saul's kingdom. Saul's kingdom is pressure packed. It, it's intense. It, it puts pressure on people. It doesn't serve them. It demands of them. And then it's all about disobeying God. It's all about doing whatever you want. That's the kingdom of Saul. Okay, the kingdom of Saul is all about doing what feels good, what I believe is right. Forget the old dusty book, the Bible. That's the kingdom of Saul. And then, and then the kingdom of Saul is about Saul glory or seeking one's own glory. And that is our age today. We are all about ourselves. This world is all about ourselves. Everybody's trying to make a name for themselves. Tower of Babel, Tower of Babel mindset. Everybody's trying to make a, 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 a greater following for themselves or a greater reputation for themselves. That is the kingdom of Saul. It's demanding, it's disobedient to God, and it creates insecurity. Today's generation, man, is the kingdom of Saul. Insecurity and fear are rampant, and 2020 has been the year of fear for many people under the kingdom of Saul. What if I don't get what I want? What if I do what feels good? That's disobedient to God, and it stinks. It just creates more fear and more insecurity. To that end, we need to make a kingdom transition. We need to make a transition into the kingdom of David i.e. the kingdom of Jesus Christ, his son. So let's get into the text today. I want to go to 1 Samuel 16, verse 1. It says this, The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king? Okay, so Samuel is in deep mourning heavily because this text says grieve, but it is the most intense word for grieving uh, in the Old Testament. And God says, I have rejected him. Now, remember, the people rejected God from being their king. And now God says, I reject the king that you chose for yourself. I reject what you chose. <laughs> he often rejects what we choose. And we often reject what God chooses. Anyway, I have rejected him from being king of the Israel. Fill your horn with oil and go. And the oil we'll talk about in a moment. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. Samuel is grieving over what could have been with Saul's kingdom. And sometimes that's us. We are grieving over what could have been in our life. Or, or we're just, you know, we've, we've done things or we've had things done to us and we're just grieving and we get stuck, don't we? We get stuck and paused in a place of grief and depression. Unstoppable, unmanageable depression. I get it. We, we get sad. We get mournful. Even Christians do. But there's a difference between mourning and full-on depression where you just can never recover. That's the kingdom of Saul. That's the kingdom of Satan. Samuel. Samuel is grieving because of the kingdom of Saul. So it says this. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears, he will kill me. If he hears, this is going to stop. This is going to look like a, uh, a coup. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice the Lord and you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Okay, key words here too. You're anointing him for me. He is my king. He is my choice. But also I want you to notice that uh, Samuel is afraid because he thinks, well, Saul's going to kill me. And God says, here's the answer. He says, I want you to take a heifer. Okay, that's a cow. 
I want you to take a heifer and I want you to sacrifice to the Lord. And if anybody asks, you just tell them, I'm going to sacrifice to the Lord. Let me put it in modern vernacular. God said, if anybody asks you what you're going to do and you're afraid, you just tell them, I'm going to worship. I am going to worship the Lord. And I just thought, real quick thought. The answer to fear is worship for God's people. Are you afraid of this age? Are you afraid who might win the presidency? Are you afraid of what, what could happen? Are you afraid of COVID? I've got to tell you something. The answer to your fears is worshiping God. Whenever you worship, it's a way of making it larger in your life so that that thing becomes everything to you. What are you, what are you enlarging with your mouth? What are you enlarging with your words? Uh, David says it like this, I will magnify the Lord. And he says, come and magnify the Lord with me. I will magnify, make large. The devil, Satan, wants you to worry and stress about what could happen. God wants you to know and worship and enlarge his presence in your life through worship so that you know no matter what happens, he's in charge. Amen? He's in charge. And I just, I just love this, that, that that's, that's the command. And then you will also see who is the king? You want to see more of Jesus in your life? Be a worshiper. You want to worship? You want to know God more? Be a worshiper. Some people come to church, they just stand there. They don't even open their mouth. Open your mouth. Start to sing. It will change your atmosphere. Verse four says this. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. And now look at this. The elders of the city came to meet him, trembling and said, do you come peaceably? So the elders, now notice how many people in these texts are important and, and godly, and even Samuel, the prophet, and the elders are filled with fear. Fear is pervasive. Even in today's generation, I see a lot of pastors filled with fear over COVID. They're, they're actually more afraid than their people are. I see a lot of pastors more afraid of politics and who might win the presidency. Like, <laughs> you can't lead people with fear. But this is the kingdom of salt. It creates insecurity, creates fear. Do you know what's happened in our generation is that we, we, we've become, we've become overcome by all the things that are happening around us. And here's why. And this, this is going to just be hard truth. We're more afraid of this world because we have walked away from the God who made it. I got bad news for the generations that are coming up. The millennial generation, 61% of them say they're Christians, but only 2% of them hold to a biblical worldview. That means only 2% of them actually believe the Bible is true, even though 61% of them say they're Christians. What does it mean to be a biblical Christian, a biblical-minded Christian? It means that you believe the Bible is true. It means that you believe that Jesus was God, always was God, did not become God. He was God eternal from, from everlasting to everlasting. He's God. It means that you should read the Bible and, and, and make the Bible your point of reference for life, right? Only 2%. The, the, the stats are out there. I mean, I could go on and on about the stats. Christian faith in this country is deteriorating at a rack, rapid pace. And no wonder why we are so much more afraid than ever before. And it seems like there's such a, a, a rush out of the church, a rush out of faith, that there's more intense fear than ever before. I read this article from The Hill. Uh, it's kind of an interesting title. It says, worried about dying from COVID-19, you might be a millennial. And the article goes on to talk about the fact that the most afraid generation of COVID-19 is the millennial generation. And the 90-year-olds and the were the ones who had the most chance of dying from COVID. This world is under the control of a, of a God, lowercase g, who hates you. The devil, Satan, Lucifer, the, the, the dragon. Think about those names, dragon. He's the, that's the God of this world. And the, and, the, and the more you walk away from God, 
the God of heaven, the more you fear the God of this world. Think about Adam and Eve. They eat the fruit in the garden and immediately they're afraid. They hear God, they, they run for fear. God shows up, he seeks them out. He says, where were you? Where, where, where are you? He goes, I heard you, I was afraid. Right after sin happens. And how did they sin? They followed Satan. They followed Satan away from God. They got sin, they got, they got, they got fear. The only thing that Satan can give you is fear. That's why I don't understand people want to serve him. Want to listen to him. Are you cr- He's got nothing to offer you but fear and more fear. Verse six, when they came, he looked on Eliab. These are the sons of Jesse. So Jesse and his sons were invited to the sacrifice. I don't know if I read that scripture, but let me just keep going. So they're at the sacrifice. And when they came, Samuel looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, fantastic. Do not look at the parents or on the height of his stature. Hey, we've played that game before, Samuel. (laughs) Don't look at how tall he is. That was Saul. Saul was head and and shoulders taller than all the other Jews. Don't look at the height because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. I love this. The Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. The Lord looks on the heart. And I just have this, this thought. Like the first thing we see here is that Samuel is coming with a preconditioned notion of who the king should be. He should be tall. He should be impressive. He should be impressive because obviously what God does, he always works according to our idea, right? <laughs> no, 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 no. God works according to his plan and his ways are not our ways. And the Bible says that he takes the wisdom of this world and uses his foolishness to put to naught the wisdom of this world. God's foolishness is wiser than the wise wisdom of man, the Bible says. God usually confronts what we think is acceptable. God usually rejects what we think is right for our lives. Why? Because we're, we're separated from God by sin. And this is important for us to understand so that we learn how to walk in the kingdom of his light without fear. Let's take a look at verse eight. It says, then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. So Eliab, the oldest, rejected. Abinadab passed before. He says, nope. Lord says, neither, Samuel says, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made Shammah pass by. So he's down to his thirdborn son. He said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And, Sa- and Jesse made seven of his sons pass, pass before Samuel. And Samuel says, the Lord has not chosen these. The Lord has not chosen these. <laughs> seven sons go by. All seven that Samuel, that Jesse brought uh, to the feast and all seven are rejected. It's kind of an embarrassing moment. I just see this embarrassing moment. Like Jesse and his seven oldest sons and left, you know the story, right? He left David out with the, <laughs> with the sheep. And I just see like this awkward pause, cue the Jeopardy music, right? Like what the heck is going on here? And Samuel has to ask. Samuel has to ask and take a look at it. It says this, Samuel said, Jesse, are all your sons here? And Jesse says, we're the youngest, but he's keeping the sheep. Like we give him the dirty job. By the way, that was a dirty job back then. Like Mike Rowe would have been all up in that. <laughs> uh, he's, he's keeping the sheep. He's got, he's got trash. He's got, he's got nothing going on. You know, he's probably covered in sheep's dung, right? Samuel said to Jesse, send him, get him, for we will not sit down until he comes. What are we seeing? We're seeing that David is not the man 
that you would pick, I would pick. It's not the man even that that uh, Samuel would pick, and he, and and he's not the the one that Jesse would pick. What we're seeing here is a theme in David's life. It's key themes that we look to our true and better David. Everybody that should accept David rejects him. Why don't you hear me say that again? Everybody that should accept David rejects him. His father, his brothers, uh, his looks, because he's not one of the tallest, right? There's another moment I want to take us to. It's, we're going to talk about it next week, but let me just bring you there real quick. This is in um, chapter 17. When David shows up to fight Goliath, or at the, at the Battle of Goliath, he's not even ready to fight him yet. He just shows up, and he's asking about this. And it says this in, in 1 Samuel 17, 28. Now Eliab, his eldest brother, when he heard what David said to the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled. Look at this. David's just talking about the battle, and Eliab's like angry at David. Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know the presumption and evil of your heart. You have, not, you have come down to see the battle. And there's a couple of important points here about David's brothers. Look at how they treat him. Number one, they don't like him. They don't like him because when you're angry just because somebody shows up, you, you don't like that person, <laughs> right? They don't like him, number one. Number two, they don't think they need him. They're like, why have you come down? And then number three, they belittle his ministry because look what they say. Whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? You, you're, just go do your stupid little job over there. It's pointing to Jesus, friends. This whole, this whole story. I know we like to look at David and say, I want to be like David, but David's story is not our story. We're not David. There's actually a better chance that we'd be one of his brothers. I hate to say it. <laughs> but don't we naturally reject God in our flesh? Don't we naturally turn away from him? Don't we naturally think we don't need him? I, I, I know that a lot of people say they love God. And this is, this is like so, this is so key. Listen, a lot of people say they love God, but no, they don't love the God. They love the God of their own imaginations. They love the God that agrees with them about what is sin and what is not sin. They love the God who uh, will vote the way that they vote. Uh, they love the God who will kind of just brush their problems under the under the rug. Oh, oh, and they especially love the God that doesn't want to change them. He just wants to advise them. It's a God of our own making. It's a God of our own making. That's why the God, uh, the true God, we reject. Psalm 14, Psalm 52 says, none seek God. None. None seek God. We, we seek a God of our own imaginations, not the God of heaven and earth. But that's the God we need. That's the God we need. And this text is showing us that the God we need is the one that we reject. Who questions Jesus? Just think about this. It's the same people that question David, his parents, his brothers, his physicality. Isaiah 53 says... He wasn't attractive. Hate to tell you this, but Jesus was not physically attractive. I know we see movies where Jesus is like physically attractive, especially the Bible project or the Bible movie, uh, the Bible series. And they had this Mexican actor play Jesus. And the big deal about that guy was that he was hot Jesus. Remember that? Hot Jesus. It was actually trending, I think, on Twitter. This is back in like 2010 or something. Hot Jesus. It, all the pictures of Jesus where he's so attractive. He, he wasn't attractive. His physicality okay, was, was something that would cause us to reject him. And then the preceding prophet rejected Jesus, questioned Jesus, didn't reject him. Remember, 
Matthew chapter 11, verse two, John heard what was what Jesus was doing and he sends his disciples out to him. He says, can you ask him a question for me? Are you the one who is to come or should we wait for another? Because the stuff I hear you're doing is not what I was expecting. I was expecting fire and brisdom and judgment. I was expecting, John the Baptist was saying, I was expect, expecting a God who judges, not this guy who heals the sick and heals centurion servants and does all these nice things for people. Where's the fire that I kept telling people you were going to bring? The God that we imagine is not the God who can save us. The God that we imagine, the God in our head, is not the God who can save you. That's why there's so many religions in the world, in the world by the way, that, that all claim to know what God is like. Christianity does not claim to know what God is like. Christianity claims that God showed up. Therefore, we know what he's like. That, that's what Christianity claims. It's a, it's a, it's a mind-bending experience when you realize that. It's not... Christians decided, okay, here's what Jesus did. All of his closest followers abandoned him and constantly questioned him. It wasn't like they were like, okay, we're going to make him like this and like this and like this because that's the kind of character that we want to save us from, you know, Rome. No, he kept questioning his own disciples. His own disciples kept questioning him because they didn't understand because the God of their imaginations was different than Jesus. And yet the God who we don't imagine, the God, the only God who can save us. Let's go on in the story because it just gets better. 1 Samuel 16, 11. Then Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And he said, there remains yet the, that, yet the youngest, but he's out to keep the sheep. Send him, and we won't sit down to get here. And he brought him, and he was rudy and handsome. The Lord said, arise, anoint him. David comes in, and he says, anoint him. He is the one. And I want, and I want to just say something about this. He's the youngest. Look at that word. He's the youngest. This is big. Because in the ancient world, there was a law called primogenitor. Genitor, primogenitor. This is law of primogenitor, which meant, and this is all ancient world customs, that the son got all the inheritance from mom and dad. The oldest son got all the inheritance from mom and dad. Now, why is this? Why would they do that? Because it was a way to consolidate your wealth into one family unit. Like if you had 10 kids and you dispersed that wealth, all those 10 kids would be disproportionately poorer. If you get my and let the other kids spend for themselves, then guess what? Your name and your renown through your oldest son would be secured. Now, this is pointing to something. Because in the Bible, God has this wonderfully nasty habit of picking the younger son. He does it again and again and again. He does it right with the first two sons, Cain and Abel. Uh, Jacob and Esau, Jacob's younger, God chooses him. Oh, before them, Isaac and Ishmael. Ishmael's older, but Isaac is the chosen son. And then Jacob and Esau, and then Ephraim and Manasseh. And now here with David, David is the youngest. He's the youngest, and God chooses him. God is teaching us through upending and basically ignoring the law, the ancient custom of primogenitor. He is upending all of that by saying, I am the one who saves you, not you. I am the one who makes you who you are. In the ancient world, let me put all my money in my oldest son so that he carries on my name and my name, my name is great because my, my born son has all this money. And God says, no, we're not going to work like that. We're not going to work by, by what you think is going to save you. This is, this is the point. Don't miss this. This is the point. Very important. The point is you are not saved by your own strength you are sa- or by what you determined to do. You are saved by God's grace and power. Let me put it another way. You are not changed. 
by your strength and your determination. You are changed by God's grace and God's power. Some of you Christians, you're struggling with sin, repetitive, habitual sin. You keep trying, like, keep trying to do things, change yourself. You can't. You got to ask God, change me. Do it from the inside. Do it from the inside. Let, let me unpack this a little bit more for you because this is, this is in uh, verse 7. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. This is what God is after. He is after our hearts. See, our, our culture, our world, our generation is so focused on outward appearance, so focused on what we can make of ourselves. Consumed by this. Spend so much time, so much money trying to look hot for people, for the opposite sex. Trying to find value in our physicality. I read about this a couple uh, days ago. There's this new um, trend in plastic surgery where people want the doctor to make them look like the, the filtered avatar that they create for themselves on Snapchat. Have you heard about this? This is crazy. They, they, they like what the Snapchat filter does to their skin and their face, and so they want the doctor to actually do that in, in physical surgery. Like, have we lost our minds? We, we, were, we worked so hard to, to fix the outside, and there's so many options now. We could fix the outside. We could put makeup on. You can get a surgery. You can get something nipped and tucked and sucked and all that kind of stuff. You can do all those things. That's the outside. It all fades anyway. And I think this is true. Our generation doesn't even care that it's just the outside. We just want to have this image. We want to do image management. I just want you to think. I don't want you to know me. I just want you to think this about me. It's the kingdom of Saul. It creates, why, do, why is it important to know this? Because it creates fear, depression, suicidal thoughts, insecurity. Why? Because we focus on the outside, not the inside. God wants to do a work in your heart. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Jesus said the heart is the producer of evil thoughts, murders, fornications, lies, adulteries. He says you can't, you can't get good fruit from a bad tree. You got to make the tree good and the fruit will be good. That's Luke chapter 6. What's he saying? I've come to do something not about the outside, but about the inside. And all the things that you look to to save you, all the things that you think are going to make you you, the outside, the image, the picture, the, the, the produced image of yourself on Facebook, that doesn't actually change you or help you or save you. You need your heart changed. Matthew chapter 12, verse 33, Jesus says, make the tree good and the fruit will be good. Ezekiel 36, 26, God says through the prophet, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put in you. And I will remove the, remove the heart of stone and give it flesh. God wants to change us from the inside out. Jesus came on the scene on the last and greatest day of the feast in John chapter seven, he says this, whoever believe, anybody thirst, come to me and drink for whoever believes in me, as the scripture says, out of his heart, out of his heart shall flow rivers of living water. That's what, that's what, that's what Jesus wants to do. He wants to change what's up here, in here so that it flows out all around you. He wants to replace, see, the kingdom of Saul is an outward-focused kingdom, and, it's, and it breeds insecurity, fear, and depression. And Jesus gives us acceptance, grace, mercy, and the Holy Spirit inside us. And that fosters not depression, but joy. It's called the oil of joy for mourning, the prophet said. Not depression, but joy. Not loneliness, but comfort in the family of God. Not anxiety, but peace, not, not fear, 
but faith. You need the inside changed. And the outside, you can take care of that too. But first, let Jesus do this. Let Jesus do this. Amen? All right, back to the text. Verse 13, then Samuel uh, took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And that is important because when, when Jesus gets baptized, he is baptized and the spirit comes upon him where? In the midst of all the people. They see him, his brothers, the Jewish family. They see him get anointed by the father. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David and look at this from that day forward. And just like the anointing upon Jesus at his baptism is, is permanent. So the anointing upon David here is permanent, permanent. There's uh, something else you need to know, this anointing of oil. Why is this the way that the Old Testament scripture illustrates uh, the empowerment of God's spirit? Here's why, because it's a picture for what the Holy Spirit does uh, in us physically. Think about oil. If you, if you just take oil, no, nobody does this anymore. But if you take oil, you just pour head. It's just going to drench. It's going to touch every fiber of your hair. It's going to get into your pores. It's going to get into your eyes. You know, it's going to go all over. It's going to seep even into the pores of your skin. It's a picture of what the Holy Spirit does. And by the way, it comes from the head through the anointing that is upon Jesus. We, the body of Jesus, right? He's our head. We are the body. The anointing that comes down from Jesus through the body and touches every part of us. It seeps into us. The Holy Spirit comes into us and changes every facet of our being. Amen. Ooh, 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 I like that. Okay, let's go on. Verse 13, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward, and Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. So he's got a permanent anointing. But look, but look at this. Now the Spirit of the Lord, verse 14, departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. Okay, Let's just tackle it, because I know you're thinking it. Harmful spirit uh, from the Lord? What? I thought God only did good things. Like, I, I thought God was only about good things. How can, how can a harmful, let's put that full screen. How can a harmful spirit from the Lord torment somebody? That's not very loving. That's not very good. Okay, 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 okay. Let's, let's, let's. Let's unpack this because it's so important to understand that this is not a contradiction. It's not saying God is bad. It's not saying God is the author of evil. It's saying this. Before the Lord departed from Saul, Saul departed from the Lord. And when you depart from the Lord, just like Adam did, you get what God is not. Harm. God is healing. God is help. God is peace. God is joy. When you walk away from that. James chapter 1 says every good and perfect gift comes from the Father, right? When you walk away, away from that, you walk only into what is the opposite of that, every good and perfect gift. So you walk away, you walk away from every good and perfect gift, you enter into every bad and imperfect gift. It's very simple for me. An illustration would be helpful here. An illustration would be helpful here. We're gonna have a little bit of fun. Can we have a little bit of fun here on the deep end in my home studio? Here we go, here we go, here we go. You walk away from God, it's like walking away from the purposes for which you were made. And I think about a, a, an illustration would be helpful, a car. A car can be a good thing. It can get you from point A to point B. But if you stand in front of a car, that good thing becomes a bad thing because you are not respecting the car. You are not treating the car as the car should be. So I thought about that. That was like a little fun, right? Just have this picture in my mind. You know, you're on the street there. I want to talk about God's passive wrath because what I'm talking about really is God's path, passive wrath. It's when you walk away from God and you get what is not of God. So a Lamborghini is a good car, right? 
A Lamborghini is a good car. Hey, nice Lamborghini, right? <laughs> you go really fast. But if you stand in front of a Lamborghini going 150 miles an hour, it turns into a bad thing for you. It turns into a dead thing for you. Okay. <laughs> Lots of fun here on the deep end in the home studio. This, this, this is the point that I'm trying to make, though, is that you walk away from God to your own de detriment. And you say, Pastor, I have already walked away from God. I can't come back. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. His mercies are new every morning. That means you get a brand new batch of mercies every single morning. If you walked away from God last night, you got new mercies today. And just letting you know, some of you needed to hear that because I, I bet there's a bunch of people, you, you got the bruises from the Lamborghini. You got the bruises from the Lamborghini from head to toe. You're just wrecked. Okay, I got, I got news for you. God can heal you. He can wipe away the tears. He can give you a brand new start. Even if you've done this a thousand times, he can give you a brand new start. His mercies are new every single morning. He is faithful. He's faithful to forgive. Look at first he's faithful to forgive. Start again new today with God and start to enter into the promises of his anointing. Enter into the promises of his goodness. Let the goodness and mercy, like David is going to say in Psalm 23, let that goodness and mercy start chasing you down and, and, and following after you all the days of your life. All right, I got to continue. Spirit of the Lord from Saul, and they said, the, uh, Saul's servants said to him, behold, a, a harmful spirit from God is tormenting you. And Saul says, uh, sorry, his servants say in verse 16, let our Lord now command your servants who are before you to speak out, seek out a man who is skillful in playing the liar. And when a harmful spirit from God is upon you, he, he will play another well. So Saul's servants, provide me a man who can play well and bring him to me. One of the young men answered, behold, I have seen a uh, son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. Okay, so who is David? He is skillful. In playing, he is a man of valor, that's boldness. He is a man of war, that means he's battled, and he is, he is prudent in speech. This is a picture of our Savior, Jesus. He's got skills. <laughs> he's bold, he's powerful, he's a man of war, he fights for you, and he knows exactly what to say. Prudent in speech, he knows exactly what to say. This is Jesus, man. Jesus just loves to tell you what you need to hear. He just loves to counsel you. And I love this because there's a picture here of... A dark kingdom, Saul's dark kingdom, and yet God, under the, uh, just check this out, under the auspices of Saul's kingdom, David is coming in. And it's a beautiful picture that if Saul had never walked away from God and been tormented, he never would have asked for David to come in, and David never would have been, been positioned exactly to be, to be, to eventually become the king the people needed. The point is that God can use even the detrimental, evil, depressing, anxiety-inducing events of our day to prepare the way for his promised deliverance, his promised king. Dark days in 2020, sure. There have been days before. I think about the 1500s. <laughs> it wasn't just the world that was corrupt. It was the church. The church was corrupt. It's pretty bad when not only the world, but the church is corrupt. And under the auspices of a very corrupt papal system in Europe in the 1500s, there was a short, diminutive, probably, probably unachieved German monk named Martin Luther who read Galatians and heard God 
talk about a righteousness that he could give him that the Pope couldn't. He got radically saved. He pinned 95 theses to the walls of the Wittenberg Castle and changed the world. Changed the world. The Protestant Reformation probably goes down in history as the number one or number two world-changing event in history, other than, of course, the cross and the empty. And Martin Luther was attacked and vilified by the powers that be, just like Jesus was, for standing for God's truth. And he wrote a song. And the song is a great song. We don't sing it anymore. We should. It's called A Mighty Fortress Is Our God. And it's, there's one particular verse that's interesting. It talks about how right under the auspices of the, of the threat of Saul or Satan's kingdom, God will do something. And it goes like this. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. What's that word? That word is Jesus. Jesus. Under the, under the auspices of the Roman Empire, under the auspices of a corrupt religious system in Israel in the first century, came the chosen son of David right under their nose. And he triumphed. And he presented a, uh, he proclaimed a new kingdom, a kingdom of peace, a kingdom, kingdom of joy, a kingdom of faith and hope. Okay, let's continue. Almost done. Therefore, Saul sent messengers to send Jesse and said, send me uh, David, your son, who was with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey laden with bread and a skin of wine and a young goat and sent them by David, his son, to Saul. And David came to Saul and entered his service. And Saul loved him greatly. and became his armor bearer. And Saul said to Jesse, saying, let David remain in my service, for he has, he has found favor in my sight. Just a couple pictures here. Took a donkey laden with bread and a skin of wine and a young goat. Sent them by David to his son Saul. David was already being trained to serve. He was going into the service of Saul. He was going to the king's palace and you would think they got plenty of food there. No. You're not just going to go bum. You're going to go you're gonna serve and bring. This is a picture of Jesus. It's a picture of the kingdom of Jesus. And then verse 23. And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hands. So Saul was refreshed and was well and the harmful spirit departed from him. By the way, coming full circle now, this is so cool. Coming full circle. Let's go there. Coming full circle from the beginning when everybody was afraid. Samuel was afraid. Saul was, uh, the, the elders of, of Bethlehem were afraid. Everybody was afraid under the, uh, under the kingdom of Saul. What does, what, does, what does God say to Samuel to do? Go worship. Worship will cast out that fear. And look at this. Comes full circle. David took the lyre and played it with his hand. What do you think David, David was doing? He was playing like modern, contemporary, ancient world music? <laughs> Top 40? <laughs> no. He was playing the Psalms that he wrote. He was talking about the Lord. He was playing the Lord is my shepherd. He was playing Psalm 23. He was, he was playing Psalm 63. He was, he, was, he was playing Psalm 42. As the deer pants for the water, so my soul pants for you. He was playing the beautiful worship of God and the worship of the Lord. Cast out the harmful spirit that was upon Saul. If you want to change your atmosphere in your life, worship God. Worship God. It'll change the atmosphere. All right. Kingdom transition to kingdom uh, from the kingdom of Saul or Satan. Remember, that's a piece of picture of Saul. It's a kingdom of demand. It's a demanding kingdom. It's a kingdom of do whatever you want. It's a kingdom of get whatever you can for your own glory. And it's a kingdom that produces fear and insecurity. And the transition we're looking for is the kingdom of David, a kingdom of serving, 
He brought the bread and the wine. And we're going to see more serving from David in just a moment next week. I'm sorry, in two weeks, sorry. It's a kingdom of obeying God. And it's a kingdom with a heart for God. And because it's got a heart for God, it's got a spirit of worship. Just all these things actually tie together when we serve and obey God. We obey from the heart that he has changed from the inside and we experience him and know him and change the atmosphere of our lives in worship. That's the transition we need to make. And let me tell you, it's a process. It's hard because I'll have a kingdom of Saul morning. And if I don't worship, it'll stay. It'll become this kingdom of Saul afternoon and then a kingdom of Saul evening, right? Anybody with me on that? Leadership. I need to serve. I need to ask God to change my heart today. I, my heart, I can feel it. Couple, you ever do that too? You can just feel like your heart's just not right. You need to pray. Ask God, change me. Change me from the inside, Lord. Through the anointing of the Holy Spirit that you give me. And it's a transition. It's a, it's a slow transition. It's a hard transition. It's a pr- progressive transition. But it, it is a transition that every Christian who has come to know Jesus makes over time. And by God's amazing grace, you become a member of David's mighty army, Jesus' mighty army. And you change, you change the world, you change your life. Amen. Hey, how was the deep end in the home studio? What do you think? The home studio, COVID-19 taught us how to work from home. So I I am so glad to be able to bring this content to you. I hope you enjoyed it. I want to let you know, please, 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 uh, do this for me. Visit thedeepend.tv. Check us out on facebook.com slash thedeependtv, twitter.com slash thedeependtv, instagram.com slash thedeependtv, basically everything.com slash thedeependtv. YouTube, especially. YouTube, like the video, press the thumbs up, and then click the subscribe button and the notification bell. And if you are on Twitch, give us a follow. Give us a follow. We would love to connect with you. This has been a great pleasure of mine to bring this content with you. Hey, we will be back in two weeks with part three of season four. This was The Deep End. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of The Deep End. We pray it helps you grow in your faith and your walk with Christ. If you don't already have a home church, we invite you to come out to one of our campuses this weekend. Check us out at waterschurch.org to find a location near you and a service time that fits your schedule. Make sure to stay tuned for next week's episode of The Deep End with Tim Hatch.